This episode of the Zero Cafe podcast is made possible by our partners, Online Influence Institute and VWO. Today I'm talking to Alexander Fabian, a data scientist at Microsoft's experimentation platform team EXP. I'm going to talk about his personal take on kickstarting and keeping the A-B testing momentum going in your organization. In case you missed the previous episode, last time I spoke with Abby Howe about QAing your A-B test and the top 10 reasons why your A-B test fail the QA phase. You can listen to that episode on www.shiro.cafe or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 9. Alexander, welcome to the Shiro Cafe podcast. And as always, we would love to know a bit more about you, your background, and uh, why you are working in Zero. Ah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me here today. Um, as you probably know, I'm a data scientist today at Microsoft's experimentation team, EXP. Um, and I've been here with the team for probably two and a half, a little bit more than two years as a full-time. But since you ask, you know, how did I get here? The, the path is actually, well... I got here because in the past I did some internships with the team during my studies, my PhD studies uh, that I was doing, which was in the area of data-driven development. Okay. Yeah. So how can you how can you use data to make better and informed decisions for your product development? So this was the path that led me, you know, to eventually arrive to this area of A/B testing, yep. um, and you know, experience it firsthand here with the team. Um, and yep, that's how I got here. Okay, good. And and what so what kind of projects at, uh, at Microsoft are you working on? Um, okay. We, as a team, we work on many different projects, but, you know, our main mission and goal is to enable the teams across Microsoft to actually be good and have the possibility to run trustworthy experimentation, right? So when you ask me what I specifically work on, I would tell you, well, one, I help teams run their experiments, and two, I make sure that the experimentation platform that we have, you know, has features, has the capability for individuals to go on and run trustworthy experiments. And this essentially means contributing to the research and the development of the platform. So we have the right knobs and buttons to enable people yeah. to run trustworthy experiments. What would you say is the is the biggest challenge in, in, in doing that, in, in enabling those teams to, uh, to run those experiments? Yeah. So when I say experiments, I really mean A/B tests on the product, right? And 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 that's that's what that's what that's what I mean is um, you have to have a hypothesis in mind of like what is it in the product that you're actually gonna go and test. And those those hypotheses they have to stem from somewhere, um, and they have to be already you know derived in a way that well. You know, maybe there's multiple versions of my idea that I have to test. And, you know, how much is it that I'm going to improve a certain metrics? Which metrics I'm actually going to improve? So, like, defining hypotheses, you know, making sure that, that they stem out of data and good good research, that's definitely something that, you know, takes some time and, and you know, it's important to do. And it's a challenge oftentimes when you're new to experimentation, like, because maybe not everyone is used to thinking this hypothesis way of, of reasoning, right? Yeah. You know, for years, we've been celebrating things when you ship. And today, you know, you want to celebrate things when, when you see value in, 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 in improvements to the product and user experience. And just kind of this reasoning, you know, this is sometimes, 
I find, you know, when I talk to people, not within the company, but outside as well, in the world, everywhere, it's, it's, it's kind of a new reasoning for many people. Yeah. So just kind of, you know, thinking that direction is very good. Um, and then there's, of course, many other challenges uh, with experimentation, with A-B testing that you just have to solve as you go on uh, and, and scale, such as, you know, making sure that you can trust the data, have all the correct um, data quality practices yeah. in, and, and processes ready that when you go and run that first A-B test, you can actually trust the results, right? So kind of making sure that that you do all the correct testing and, you know, all the data quality checks. This is really important. And, you know, making sure that, you know, you invest in data quality and emphasizing to everyone how important this is, uh, is something that, you know, really stands out. And I think that we do very well as, as a team. And it's, it's something that, you know, maybe not everyone around the planet has really accepted yeah. that this is important. Like you You've seen the S sample ratio mismatch, uh, probably research that we've done a while ago, right? We, like we, as a team, and we've really put a lot of research in making sure that your your A/B test that before you look at the data, you can actually trust it. Yeah, exactly. But, but it seems like um, uh, the first part that you mentioned. Uh, that's mainly it's not a technological issue at all, right? It's, it's mainly about the mindset of people and and and, and training them uh, on on how to do this. And um, uh, and of course we all need to trust the data. So, but how do you how do you uh, work on on that mindset? Then is it like training new employees, or everyone in the company has uh, uh, periodic trainings on on how to uh, run an A/B test, or how how do you um, um, yeah basically raise that level uh, of awareness and and skill uh, from everyone in the company? Ah, interesting question. So. I mean, eventually we will come to the topic of the flywheel yep, and we'll touch that a bit, a, a bit, a bit better, but um, it all comes down to kind of continuous, you know, investment into a few different areas. And it's the same with, with hypothesis driven A-B testing, if you want to call it like that, right? It's seeing a good moral model of a team that succeeds, that had a clear hypothesis that they were able to validate it or, or, or essentially prove, you know, how this was not working. Uh, and then uh, showing those examples around to other folks, to other teams, uh, and kind of like establishing this pattern of like how things are done. And this is like one way how you can kind of scale that path. Yeah. Uh, the second one, the second one is is you you have champions that you know really are strong in some areas, and then you move those around, right? So once you once you kind of like put the people who already know what needs to be done in a particular doesn't matter if it's hypothesis or some other areas of AP testing. Once you put those at the right places, that also helps scale um, the everything that is necessary for you to kind of scale AB testing. Yeah. And this is in, in particular powerful if those individuals are, you know, hands-on in the product and in AB tests, but also if you know you have some of those who are maybe kind of you know top down and making sure that the organization is following those guidelines. So kind of a hybrid approach uh, of sharing good practices and sharing the resources around um, are really you know, two ways that help us scale uh, A-B testing in this case. Cool. Yeah, and talking about scaling, uh, the, the, the whole point that we were talking today was your 
article uh, last December um, uh, talking about an A-B testing flywheel. And I think that article in itself is like continuation uh, of an article from three years ago, uh, which uh, I think many people in the industry uh, uh, know, which is the, the crawl, walk, run, fly, maturity uh, model uh, that you uh, uh, posted. Uh, I think the, the official um, article name was the evolution of continuous experimentation in software product development. I don't know that from the top of that top of my head. I'm reading that, but <laughs> uh, we, we, I think many people, like I said, many people are in our industry are uh, are familiar with that uh, model. I think, but uh, can you give us a, a, a short reminder, or for those that don't know, what's the um, the TLDR on on crawl, walk, run, fly, uh, uh, the, the the whole model? Ah, oh, that's that's a great question. So back in 2016. I remember working closely with a number of different teams at Microsoft who were all running A-B tests um, and they were running them at a different pace. Like, you know, there were some teams who ran many of them. There were some that were new to this. There were some who were kind of like, you know, ramping up and some were in the middle. And I was very curious to learn what is it that enables some teams to be that successful in using A-B testing for their product decision-making yeah. And essentially what brings them to that to that stage, right? Mm -hmm. So I figured that there must be some way of kind of graduating from one step to the next step. Like there must be some conditions that you fulfill to kind of qualify or that you can run and kind of scale. Um, and, and, you know, at that point, we uh, together as a team, you know, there was other researchers that collaborated on, on that publication with me. We, we studied many different teams and we found out that there's, there's a few different dimensions that you have to take care of when you're trying to grow your A-B testing. And that those dimensions are not only technical dimensions, right? You can have a great platform that has all the features that enables you to detect treatment effects with very high precision, but that's not enough. You also have to invest in metrics. You also have to invest in making sure that you communicate those uh, A-B test results very broadly. And those are kind of like, how much you do those things, that, that kind of defines where you are on that maturity model. So for most companies out there, if you ask me, well, how should I use that for? You should use it for two, two ways. One is to check where you are. And the second one is to see what you need to do to get to the next step. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influence, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. I, have, I want to pick out one thing uh, you, you just mentioned before we go to the to the flywheel. You say it's it's really important to to share the the results broadly mm -hmm. uh, to get that buy-in to get people to understand. But how does that work at a company like Microsoft if you run thousands of experiments a day? <laughs> um, you, you can we can share those uh, thousands of experiments, sure, but no one's gonna in their right mind is going to go through all those uh, experiment uh, uh, result reports um, uh, they receive by email. So 
Um, is there like so, a sort of diminishing return if you run uh, a lot of those experiments or, or how does that work? How do you still communicate um, uh, the experiment results if you're running it at such a large scale? Um, so I, I believe that the key to answer that question is to think about it on how you can share those experiment results within existing processes in a company already. So it is not that you have you know thousand A/B tests in in a month and you share the results of all those thousand through a numerous newsletters. Um, you're right, probably that people won't go and <laughs> read yeah. you know all those thousand emails that come with different A/B test results. No, the, the the key is to to kind of integrate a few examples that really stand out in a specific period at places that the org is already expecting to see them, expecting to see something there, right? So to give a concrete example, uh, we, we, you know, many companies work this way. We often have some kind of reviews on progress of particular projects, right? Those reviews are maybe periodic. Maybe they happen every few weeks, five, six weeks or so. So we will make sure that we integrate at least some experiment results in those reviews, which, which will give visibility on like, oh, these are some of the, challenges and types of A-B tests that the team is running right now. And that attracts then attention then because that review is maybe attended by, you know, the engineers on some other teams with some leadership from some other team and, and they learn and see those examples. And maybe want to also have a chance to appear next time in that review with their own example like that, right? So what my point here is, number one, make sure to integrate sharing of experiment results within an organization in an existing process that is already in place, which attracts audiences already today, and it will just help it grow. And then there's the second example, right? You have the engineers, you have the people working on their own experiments on their own. Well, they're gonna share with with them anyway in, in, in its own vertical. So, you know, making sure those two conditions are fulfilled, I think really helps uh, communicate the value of A-B tests more broadly. Uh, newsletters, we've we've seen them as well, um, and I'm happy when I see a newsletter with a successful A/B test. But I consider those as a like, ah, oh, thank you for that reminder of that A/B test that I've seen yeah. in that really really important document somewhere else. So yeah, the, the newsletters uh, maybe reserve those for the special cases, but that's not uh, the, that shouldn't be the default way that people get uh, uh, experiments results uh, every day. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, let's talk about the the flywheel uh, you discovered, you posted on. And uh, uh, to be clear for for all our listeners, uh, we'll put links in our show notes uh, so you can uh, look at uh, that article. Uh, and also as uh, the articles also have uh, some visuals on that. But to get to the flywheel, uh, you have five main points of this flywheel. Uh, number one, um, and of, of course, the, the the goal of this fly the fly whole flywheel is yeah, make your A/B test fly the whole program. Uh, not just a single A/B test, but make sure the program uh, integrates well with the company and the teams, and and uh, so you can run uh, more and more uh, successful uh, tests. So the first one, um, so five points. The first one, uh, running more A/B tests. The second one, uh, measuring more value. Number three, increasing interest even more. Number four, investing in infrastructure, and number five lowering the cost of A-B testing even more. So let's start start with the first one. Uh, let's go through uh, all five of them, running more A-B tests. Yeah. So 
you know, maybe before we jump in there, I really have one one thing I wanted to add, which maybe will be interesting for for your listeners, and yeah. especially for those who've been who've been using the crawl, walk, run, fly model before, is like the motivation. Like, you know, what, why transform kind of a similar idea of of making you know how to scale experimentation or A/B testing into this flywheel kind of model. Um, and, and actually comes from my own mistakes that I realized that we've, we've done to our own research in a way where people have, you know, kind of sometimes taken the maturity model and, and thought that, you know, if they're progressing on one dimension very far, that they've actually achieved progress, but while the others were ignored. Yeah. So the flywheel, however, it, it, it changes this reasoning into this thinking of, I need to do a little bit in every spin and that will help me grow. So this is a fundamental kind of improvement that, that we wanted to make very obvious that when you read the maturity model, there is a statement in there that you have to move with all these dimensions you know, at the same pace, but that statement gets often overlooked. And uh, Flyable actually emphasizes the importance of this statement like in its essence. Yeah, So every part of the Flywheel needs to move and and to make make any part move faster all the parts need to move faster yeah exactly the importance is every part needs to move a little bit faster and, and every every step in the flywheel needs a little bit of investment yeah. and the first one is the first step of the flywheel as you kind of said is is running more a b tests to support more decisions and that second part is important right because you can run a b tests then you know look at some results and say okay fine and then the decision maybe will not stem out of the A-B test itself, right? So the ultimate goal is to actually make sure that you run more and more A-B tests that will actually support decisions in product making. Um, and, and, and that step is really the goal, right? You know, that's, that's something that you need to continuously make sure it's happening. Yeah. And uh, then the second one uh, is measuring more value. Yeah. Measuring the value to decision making. Yeah, this is this is this is then this this is then then the actual impact, right? So if you run an A/B test that actually uh, improves, you know, a certain part of the product, and then the decision making is maybe not, you know, the one that you, uh, you know, it doesn't align with the results of an A/B test. But that wouldn't be actually great, right? So you want to really make sure that the A/B tests that you're running are actually producing the results that you need to be able to decide and say, yes, this was a valuable feature, this was a really valuable insight, and then go and, and ship and ship that idea. So making sure that we have those in place, you know, and growing in this step is really important because like I mentioned earlier, if A-B tests don't produce value, you know, you maybe run them in some part of the product that is not used by a lot of users. Yeah. They just they just will not attract attention. They will not be you know accepted well, and then they will not deliver a lot of value to yeah. the actual decision. Maker. How do you make sure that um, I mean in, in general uh, company goals are measured differently than than A/B tests? A/B tests typically have uh, have things that you can measure uh, on the short term. Uh, it can be it can be revenue, it can be conversions, it can be uh, newsletter subscriptions, it can be bounce rate, whatever you want to improve. But just those are things that you can impact uh, on the short run. But company goals 
Well, managers usually don't necessarily care about the bounce rate. <laughs> uh, if your manager cares too much about the bounce rate, then that's <laughs> that, that's that's a bit micromanaging. Uh, but they care about maybe overall growth of uh, of customers, uh, lowering cost of doing business, those kind of stuff. And uh, and those are way way harder to measure in a short A/B test. So how do you make sure? Um, as an A-B tester uh, to add value to that company? How do you connect those different levels of, uh, of KPIs and, uh, and goals? So that then depends in which spin of the flywheel you are in. Yeah. So in, in your, maybe in your first spin of the flywheel, right? You, the, the value that your A-B test will deliver, it's not going to be one of your key metrics such as like, Probably won't improve your attention of users, and you know it's it's just it's just gonna take you a while to come up with an A/B test that is you no, know, it's that specific that will actually impact your key goals. So in that first spin of an A/B test, and you know the way how you're sure uh, spin of the firewall, uh, the way how you're sure that that delivers value is what you need to do is you need to pick a situation somewhere in in the product when there's a lot of split opinions. So you find you find you know part of the product that is that is often discussed and people have a lot of opinions on how to improve it. Yeah. Um, and you know when there's difference of opinions, that's the opportunity to go in and say, okay, let's go and let's test yours, yours and your opinion here, and let's see which one will work, right? And then what happens is that you you run your A/B test and you get the results. Oh, someone is bound to be surprised, right? It's because you know, <laughs> yeah. someone, will do, so someone will learn that they were right, and the yeah. other artists will learn that 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 scenario doesn't work here, right? So, in that, you know, in that kind of initial stages, you, I, connecting to 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 very very high company level goals is maybe not something that 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 you should do, right? Because it's going to take a really long time to set up those experiments. It will take you a long time to find the right telemetry and all the all the, all the, the understanding of what will actually move that. So it's really about getting the surprises there. That's a lot of value, making people surprised because it's going to stick. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once you scale, um, I do believe that there has to be some kind of alignment between which metrics you have on your A-B testing scorecards and what metrics uh, are individual teams slash orgs trying to impact. And we've seen that happening. Like we've, as a team, we invest a lot into metric research. Um, you've probably seen a lot of publications about, you know, having a good set of success, guardrail and data quality metrics is instrumental for A-B tests. We publish those in many papers. Um, and we do that really, really a lot for all of our products to make sure that the metrics that we have on the A-B testing scorecards are really, really valuable for the user experience that we have for those products. So one thing that I want to really, really call out is that we invest a lot in making sure that we measure user success and that the users are having this experience that we're improving their experience uh, as opposed to investing into, you know, showing more ads or showing you know, tricking people and doing something because that's, you know, really not going to work on the long term and it's also not pleasant for the user experience. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create an A-B test, different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Stop guessing. 
Start A-B testing with VWO today. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it really makes sense to, especially when you when you're beginning or new at the company, uh, it helps to yeah. just just start just start on those those easy metrics, and uh, and and hopefully hopefully someone will complain. That's actually that's the, that's the best case scenario that someone's gonna get, say, hey, this is not right, this is not. Uh, so, for example, what you said, maybe maybe you do start uh, your first day saying, oh yeah, we need to. Um, have more more ads on the page because then we increase more ad revenue. Yeah, sure. <laughs> then, but then hopefully someone will get mad at you and then say, well, maybe not mad, but <laughs> hopefully someone will get up uh, up to you and say, hey, uh, yes, this indeed increases uh, uh, increases our, our uh, value in in the short term. But this is not who we are as a company. Uh, we have other uh, goals for that, and let let's see how we can work together. Uh, to actually uh, improve those instead of the, just uh, the short-term metrics, and yeah, if and if you work on those on those all those short-term metrics and no one's complaining, then, then there's a different issue. <laughs> yeah, and there's also this other dimension since we're talking about value a lot this moment. Yeah. It's also about really having a, a rich metric set of metrics that you look when you run an A/B test. Yeah. Um, I have found over and over cases where an A-B test was supposed to impact an area of the product, and it did, but on the other hand, it impacted a completely different area of the product in, in the ways that we didn't anticipate. Yeah. And essentially, ha having having these re rich metric sets and making sure that as you run your A-B test that you evaluate the different aspects of the product, these are really important because those, they, they drive value and they drive learnings that, yeah. you know, that you just didn't anticipate or know that it's going to happen. As you probably know, sometimes products have some, how do you say, inter they are intervened. There is yeah. uh, some dependencies here and there. And, and you know, making sure that anytime you, you know, do a, I'll give you a great example. You do a change to a, to a product and you see some important metric has moved and you think, oh, it's because of this new, new design or some change that I did. Well, maybe there's actually a performance improvement that did that. You don't know it, if it was actually your particular thing. Maybe your thing improved performance, you know, yeah. just something that you didn't measure, measure in this A-B test um, initially. So importance, you know, one, one, one learning to take away from here is really make sure to have a rich metric set that you can look at the product holistically um, across the different aspects of it. Yeah. And that will help increase also the value that you're getting out of your A-B tests. Yeah. How far do you go in that though? I mean, uh, if you open uh, any analytics tool, uh, there, there's there's a lot of metrics in there. <laughs> uh, it, can be, it can be hundreds. So how, how far do you go uh, with, uh, with your A-B test, your analysis? And, and even uh, we, we can um, um, uh, make that even exponentially larger by introducing, not, not only looking at the metrics, but introducing segments. Absolutely. How do you limit that? How do you, do you look at everything or how, how, how do you manage that? So in our scenarios, it's not unusual for an A-B test to have, you know, a few thousand metrics uh, that, that are being computed and evaluated. And then of course, also to have you know each of these on different segments. Yep. So this is common. This is common. We publish papers on this. The the question that you're asking is like, but which ones should I go and go go look into, right? Um, so the answer here is a little bit tricky, because it depends on what your capability is. Um, 
and 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 what of, of your and, and what your taxonomy and hypothesis are. So let's unpack both, right? Let's start with capability. So a platform must have a way to highlight you what is the important part of your A/B test results that you should go look into. So one way to do that is to you know zoom in to those metrics that actually you know reacted in an A/B test that they have moved in some way or another. Um, and you know that's that's already one level of of kind of filtering that happens because you you zoom in to a smaller subset of metrics. No A/B test will impact all of the metrics in an experiment unless it has an SRM. Then you're gonna get a nice impact across the line, right? So kind of capability to summarize and and make users the you know be the center and say this these are the you know 27 and I have to look out of this hundred. Yeah. This is one aspect of it. The second one in this zoom in this summary is the taxonomy. So metrics not only have to be created, but they have to be organized in logical groups, right? You you already you already know your product to some extent. You know that there is like maybe you know this part of the page is like this. This you know this there's a second part of the page. There's some performance aspects of it. So you can build a taxonomy that's kind of like organizes your metrics in the way how your product is organized. So this is additional help then for your A/B test uh, result analysis, right? You will already have this path of like, I know which parts I have to look at first of my taxonomy because this is kind of the areas that I was running an A/B test in. Um, so that, those are the two areas that are yeah. really, really important here. Yeah. yeah. Good. Let's uh, go to uh, number three, um, increasing interest in A/B testing. <laughs> We we talked briefly about plugging the A/B tests yeah. and the results in various uh, reviews. Um, um, I mean, this this is something that product teams should be doing on, on an ongoing basis, sharing those results both down and up in the hierarchy of the company. Um, not through newsletters only, like we discussed, but also through just communication and showing the impact that they had. Um, or writing great blog posts or writing articles and publish that. That also helps. <laughs> yeah, you called out something that as an EXP team we've been doing for many years, which is, yes, we try to publish as many examples that, you know, we can share with the community yeah. to kind of really show all this all these unusual findings that you get in, in A-B tests. Um, so publishing, yes, is another one. Um, but also organizing talks. This is something that, you know, maybe it's not called out enough, but mm -hmm. uh, in our internal culture, it is it is uh, very common to have a a talk. We call it a best experiments talks, best controlled A/B test talks, if you want to call it like that, um, where we pick a handful of A/B tests that were run, you know, in the last quarter, let's say, and share it with the company and kind of demonstrate like these were like some of the really outstanding A/B tests that we wanted to share with you. Um, but we very carefully reviewed and made sure that they, you know, follow all the best practices and they have impactful results with impactful learnings for the teams. So, you know, actively scheduling time and making sure that results of A-B tests are shared, especially those best A-B tests very broadly, that's another way to increase interest because you will attract new audiences in that way. And so I, I have a question about this. Uh, you want to increase the, the, the interest in A-B testing, but a part of your audience might find this quite hard to, to do. 
and uh, might find it quite technical, might find find it quite challenging to do. And uh, maybe if you, if you just start out uh, in in A/B testing, uh, it can be quite depressing because most of what you do <laughs> will not have an impact. Um, that, that's the experience most of us have. The the biggest part of of the experiments you run are either inc- inconclusive or, or or move the needle in the wrong way. Um, so how do you keep people, uh, you want to educate them, you want to get them involved, but you also want to keep them motivated. So, uh, how would you do, how would you do that? Um, despite this being quite a, for many people, a difficult area to work in. So that's, that's a good question. And I think it all comes down to preventive and then actually acting on it. On the preventive side, I think it's very important to set expectations up front, the way how you just kind of communicated now with me. You know, we have internal courses where all new A-B testers would come and, you know, learn about A-B testing. We would tell them very explicitly that, you know, when you enter this world of validating ideas, most ideas will not actually result in what you were anticipating. So kind of building this expectations up front really helps mitigate the the impact of a a neutral result or a negative result later, right? Um, So that's that's one. Second one is we, in that education, you also have to reinforce the learning that I mentioned earlier on a rich metric set. Maybe you want impact retention, which is something that your team is really, you know, uh, going for, but you will find some other learning that is important for your team. So, you know, reinforce this that A-B tests are rarely, rarely unsuccessful. A-B tests are only successful if they result in no learnings, right? Yeah. It's really, really, really reinforcing them that, you know, if you have a rich metric set may, and you will run your A-B tests, the hypothesis that you had might not be full, not, might not be fulfilled, but you will have some other learnings that you didn't expect will happen. Like, you know, maybe an average metric will not move, but maybe a proportional metric will actually react because it's more sensitive than an average metric. And you will think, oh, maybe that's an area that our team should be maybe focusing a little bit more because until we get more more power, more users, more devices, we won't actually be able to detect changes in this other area of the product. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes also might help just to to frame it the other way around, right? So you say, okay, we, uh, we test this. Uh, it's inconclusive, um, but that means that we uh, didn't put all the effort in to push something live that didn't do anything. So we we, we saved money by not doing it. Yes, and and this is exactly the the guardrails the guardrails approach that you're kind of saying. Like, do not essentially yeah. release features if unless they actually improve or if it is a degradation, don't go forward. This is some something that we've seen great success in. in across the board uh, that teams are really grateful to have the A-B testing capability to really catch any large degradations before they actually go and reach large-scale populations. So starting an A-B testing culture, if it's hard to kind of, you know, move the needle, going from the other perspective is let's not move it. Let's start there. Let's (laughs) let's try to keep it here. (laughs) With all the changes that we do, let's try to keep it at the point that we have right now. That's, that's, that's a great starting point. Yeah. And that's, so in that sense, framing it like, uh, like risk, risk management, basically. Risk management and mitigation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like I've, like I mentioned, I've seen great success in A-B testing in this area. Um, and I highly encourage the community to to think about A/B testing really as a tool that helps you prevent 
exposing any bad experiences to users, which is as sometimes as important as, as a tool which helps you, you know, evaluate which ones yeah. actually improve those experiences. Exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. Number four, investing in A-B testing infrastructure and data quality. <laughs> I th I th yeah. this, this is the one uh, that, that at least uh, the Shiro specialists themselves probably are most excited about <laughs> because this is the tools that we daily uh, that we use on a daily basis. Yeah, there's for an A-B test, there's really two main aspects of your infrastructure. One is your assignment mechanism that needs to be trustworthy and making sure that that populations are you know selected and and that you have the randomization that is um, you know really that you can trust so you use the correct randomization units and you know this first component of randomization is really important and this one needs to work correctly for anything else downstream to, to even be considered right so that that one dimension has to be solved yeah but then once you kind of randomize the users and you, and you, and you get them into two or more groups right then there's all this data collection that needs to happen, the, the statistics that you compute on it. And intuitively, it might sound like this is an easy problem to many people, but I, I believe that we have to be very careful and really, really make sure that we communicate this clearly, which is this is a very hard problem to solve correctly. Like summing up ones and zeros, you wouldn't believe how hard it is to do correctly sometimes when data is missing, when, you know, when you have, you know, <laughs> rows that are duplicated, values that you cannot trust. So investing in monitors in these data quality areas is very important. And then even when you have a result, can a person actually, uh, you know, consume it? Like, do you, can you present those results in a, in a way that someone who is maybe not very familiar with statistics and, and A-B test results can, that they can actually make a learning out of it, which takes us to that next next bullet point in the flywheel, which is the lowering human cost of A-B testing, right? It doesn't help if you're able to run an A-B test and you know you have all these resources that, that you put into that A-B test, but, but now it will be the same cost to do your second A-B test, right? So you always have to make it easy for the next person to come in and run the next A-B test. And that means you start by, you know, in the first first round of the flywheel, maybe it's just gonna be a script that you share with the other colleague on the other team and say, hey, this is how I computed the p-value, here you go. You know, don't reinvent the script because I have it, right? And the second, you know, the third spin of the flywheel, that script will already have a SRM check in there by default, and you won't even be able to run that script before you actually check the SRM, right? And then the fifth, sixth, seventh flywheel turn, this will all happen automatically. The other person will just look at the result and, and see, I can, oh, here's the value. Many spins later, it, yeah. there won't be even any value. There won't be even value. It will just say, this is good, or this, this experiment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and the person looking at it can trust it. And the person looking at it knows that it can trust it. Yeah. And this is, this is very important, right? You know how in software development, you have unit tests? Every time you you kind of like check in some code, you want to run the unit test before you actually go and deploy it. In A-B testing, we have the same concept, right? There's all these unit tests that have to pass before you even can trust your A-B test results. And a sample ratio mismatch is a very is one of those ultimate uh, unit tests that we all have yeah. to take care of. Exactly. So those are the five uh, five points. Do you have any overall uh, overall actionable tips for us? 
to make this uh, wheel fly faster? What's the grease that we need to uh, add to the mix? I, I will return to that earlier point of mine, which is don't invest in one of the steps of the flywheel yeah. and neglect the others and neglect the others because that will slow things down. Um, so, and the second one is, you know, continue to present A-B test results and share them around uh, as in, in a positive light, even if they didn't fulfill the initial hypothesis and when you're in your early stages of the flywheel. Because in your first, in a few, first few turns, it's really about building the muscle and the capability that you will be able to do this at scale at some point. And I believe that, you know, the success is really to be able to show that you can do this. And, you know, reaffirming this message to the team in the beginning is very important. So they don't feel like that they have to learn two things at the same time, which is how do you do an A-B test and also how to like succeed in meeting the expectations of an A-B test. Yeah. No, those are two separate separate learnings, right? Let's first learn how to do an A-B test correctly. And then, you know, what are what are those extra things that we need to sprinkle in the next A-B test to actually make it move that needle that, that you were targeting for? Exactly. Like in life, learnings are the, the ones that are important. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, Alexander, uh, thank you so much for uh, for sharing us uh, and giving us some uh, some additional info uh, uh, on the article. Uh, really inspiring. I think I'm, I'm full of energy now to uh, to apply this uh, apply this uh, myself. So that's great. So, uh, what, what are you working on the uh, the rest of the year? What are your any any new articles that we can expect uh, from you? Um, yeah, we actually have several new articles in the pipeline that we will share with the community in the next months. Um, we have the series of patterns of trustworthy experimentation, which I believe we just released our second article a few days ago. So it's uh, patterns that you should apply during an A-B test. Yeah. Uh, I highly recommend for all of you to, to kind of go and read that article, which is just, just out now. Um, and then, of course, there is also patterns to apply after an A-B test is completed to make sure that you follow up on it correctly and analyze it from all the right angles. So we, we have those articles in the pipeline, as well as a few insights on alerting and, and kind of, you know, providing providing that feedback loop to, to A-B testers to come back to the platform to learn that their A-B test is doing something very good or something very suspicious, So which will be in the in a, in a future article on alerting. Cool. Um, that's definitely something that readers can look at yeah we'll be looking uh looking forward uh, to that and then uh, my final question uh, for you today um who else should i invite for the zero gray podcast to talk about these kind of uh, subjects um of course there's many people that you should invite in this podcast um, <laughs> yeah send uh, me your list <laughs> <laughs> um no i really appreciate your efforts in disseminating the value of a b testing and making sure that the, the impact of A-B testing is getting, you know, broader and broader across the world. And with that in mind, I would recommend Pavel Dimitriou to invite to your next uh, podcast. Um, and I believe that, that the reason why I would like you to invite him is because he has brought this, this idea, this concept of A-B testing to the discipline of sales and is using the, the scientific method to make sure that like the platform that he's working on nowadays also has a, the ability to recognize what you know what 
particular versions of emails or of notifications are most effective to attract uh, the attention of, 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 of the customers of his company. Yeah. Uh, Pavel uh, Dmitriev, uh, uh, president of data science at uh, Outreach.io. So uh, I'll contact yeah. him and uh, see how, uh, if we can do an episode uh, together. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much. Yeah, Alex, uh, and thank you for, for doing this. Uh, thank you for, uh, for joining us for an episode and uh, looking forward to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Have a good day. Have and a good great day. Great testing flywheel spinning for all of the listeners hopefully hopefully it will, it will start spinning much faster off this I'll, I'll, i'm pretty sure it will <laughs> <laughs> thanks alexander bye 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 and this concludes season three episode nine of the shirok fay podcast with alexander fabian make sure to check out the show notes on the shirok fay website for links to some additional information on today's topic in the next episode, I'll be talking to Alexander Munoz, a self-taught UX designer from the south of Spain who worked at Booking, and we're going to talk about his experience as a UX designer in a very data-driven company. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing. <laughs>